So is anybody glad that it's finally 2021? Or more so, put more appropriately, is anybody glad that 2020 is finally over with? I read the line uh, the other day. It's like, it's a new year. Walk slowly and don't touch anything. Anybody disappointed that when the calendar or the clock finally flipped from December 31st to January 1st, that not much about the world really changed? I, I remember back uh, in... 2000 when we had y2k and that whole new year uh, situation and everybody thought something big would change as the world went from 1999 to 2000 and it turned out really it was just like any other new years and at that point everybody was relieved like oh the world didn't collapse on us the banking system didn't collapse on us because of that whole y2k problem that they were worried about and this year we all wish something big would change Maybe on the level of what Y2K would have been. And it turns out it was just another New Year's and everyone ends up kind of disappointed. Or worse, maybe things changed and not for the better. I had read uh, another post somewhere out there in, in social media world that's like, you know what, 2021, I had the seven-day free trial and I'm not satisfied, so I'm going straight on to 2022. Or, hey, that was a great solid five days. Now, 2021, back where we were before. We set a record number for COVID cases. And then you get to the news the next day. And it's like, oh, nope, we set the record again. Thought the race riots were bad? Here, watch this. Is there anything, is there anything in the world of faith that can actually give us hope, that can allow the Christian community to be not an echo of culture, but an alternative to it? Is there any hope that this isn't as good as it gets? That this isn't all we have to hope for? I definitely believe so. But it's a case where, honestly, a new believer might have an easier time grasping what where I'm going to go with this and how I'm going to explore this than somebody who has been around faith circles for quite a while. You know, old hats at, at the faith game may need to sort of snap out of some thought patterns in this topic we're going to explore. But this one thing that I think can make a difference today. Now, it's not that the, we have seen things for those who have been practicing Christian faith for a while. It's not that we have seen things wrong or incorrectly. But sometimes we, we will put a limit on the reach and the impact that certain ideas can have in our lives. Where we think, okay, here's this idea, and here's its one use, and we sort of pigeonhole it to be that one thing. And this one idea goes way beyond that little pigeonhole that we box that we put it in. We check it out in Paul's letter to uh, one of his more unknown letters, and smaller letters, his letter to Titus, in chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. Let's check it out. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all, training us to renounce impiety and worldly possessions, and in the present age to live lives that are self-controlled, upright, and godly, while we wait for the blessed hope and the manifestation of our glory for our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He it is who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify for himself a people of his own, who are zealous for good deeds. Grace, grace. Maybe you've heard of it. As I said, introducing this service, um, 
Maybe you've heard that song, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. Whether you've been to church regularly or you've never been to church at all, maybe you're at least familiar with it. Maybe it's a new concept, this five-letter word, at least from today's angle that we're going to look at it. Again, a little bit different than maybe we have, have pictured this or, or pigeonholed this idea. Because grace is certainly an idea that is core to, to the Christian understanding of the world. So why do I introduce this whole idea with uh, rethinking this core Christian idea? Well, as I answer that question, i got to give props to a book by Max Lucado that is um, titled Grace, More, More Than We Deserve, Greater Than We Can Imagine. Many of the ideas that I am using in this message uh, come out of this book, even you know, quote straight from him because uh, he's an incredible writer. And I, I definitely recommend the book because it's written not so much from a, a ivory tower theologian's perspective, but from a pastor's perspective and, and great language and great illustrations and stories about how this idea plays out. But I digress from, from that. So how do we often think about this idea of grace? In the, in the Christian world. We usually think of grace side by side with this idea of being saved, of salvation. Six dollar Christian word that we see in uh, another one of Paul's letters. I'm, I'm diving into a lot of what Paul writes today because he was a guy who understood the need for grace, believe me. But he writes in Ephesians 2, 8, the first half of that verse at least, says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It's kind of like the Christian version of salt and pepper. Uh, and it's definitely an, an accurate association, being saved, and, and it's a, a gift. That's actually the definition of, of the word that we translate to grace. It, it's translated as a gift. It's definitely something to be thankful for. But saved by grace, it speaks of heaven. It speaks of eternity. It speaks of after our physical death. And that's, again, great concept, true concept, something to be eternally thankful for. But what about before our physical death? What about while our hearts are still beating or our lungs are still pumping air? Can grace speak into the physical or the civil unrest that our world has been having, especially over these this last week? Can grace speak into the hate and the vitriol that spreads like a California wildfire? Again, Paul knew something about grace. And he says, you know what? It can. Because grace, like it says in verses 12 and 13, grace trains us to renounce impiety and worldly possessions and in the present age to live lives that are self-controlled, upright, and godly while we wait for the blessed hope. Grace can actually work in the present age today on Monday morning while we wait for hope in the getting to heaven part and the, and the after death part, yes, Paul says. Here is how it plays out. As a person, and definitely as a Christian, I like to hope that I can make a difference for good in the world. That when I leave this world, it'll be a better place because I existed. That the people that I impact and the people that I am a part of their lives, that their lives will be better because of it. Certainly rather than the opposite where you know, they would regret that they ever knew me or something like that. So when I say something or when I post something out in the social world and all that, I want it to be something that builds people up rather than tearing people down. So when there's so many voices out there 
that are all about hate and fear and disunity and uncertainty and everything that, that seems to sell the tabloids. How do I or how do we not get sucked into that? Now, I am certainly one, as I have seen many of my friends do who are active on social media and all that. And they're like, look, I am taking a social media pause, beam, stepping back just to, to clear their heads about that. And, and that certainly is a, a valid answer and a valid tactic. But I think when we're actually trying to make a difference into that, the answer lies in grace. And I don't mean just grace towards others, because having grace is not just about being a doormat and being kind and, and soft towards others and everything like that, and all those kind of negative ideas that, grow, that go with being gracious, but a grace towards us as well. As Paul, or, uh, Augustine says, he says, for grace is given not because we have done good works. It's not like we do good works and then we get the grace, but in order that we may be able to do them. Now that starts to change things because it's not, it's not the effect, it's the cause, it's the engine. It's, it's kind of like, all right, imagine that hope is at the end of a road, a physical road. You have this you know, pot of gold of hope at the, the end of the rainbow, at the end of the road. All right, and we're moving towards it. And Paul says in Titus 2.13, he says, while we wait for the blessed hope, he says. But it feels like it's a long road to hope. And especially as we are journeying along it, we're trying to get there and we're trying to help others get there. We're getting hit by images and record numbers and riot reports and, and pictures that are just looping on the TV and on YouTube and on our social feeds of, of stuff that gives anything but hope. And you know what, honestly, at least here in our area of the country, this string of, of short days that are entirely clouded, they're not helping much either. That's for sure. But it's like grace is sort of the fuel that keeps us going. It's, you know, I, I've shared uh, with you many times that I, I like to run endurance races. And it's sort of like Grace is the, the spiritual cliff bar that gets us over the next ridge, that gives us just what we need to, to keep on going. But here's the thing. And this is to relate the idea of us looking at grace as this after-death thing, and it, it only matters when it comes to getting into heaven and all that sort of stuff. Here's the thing. It's not just that God's dream is to get you into heaven. Because that's how we often picture it. But, and that is the limits we often put on grace. But God's dream is to get heaven into you. Max Lucado says it so well. He says, we give our hearts to Christ and then he returns the favor. We give our hearts to Christ. We trust Christ with our hearts and then he gives his heart to us. So let's take this idea through one more passage. Again, that Paul writes to, an <coughs> to another church in, uh, in the book of Galatians. And we'll see how it brings this idea of grace into the 21st century to where it impacts our Monday mornings. This comes out Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7. Paul says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his Son, Jesus Christ, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as children. And because you are children, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a child. 
And if a child, then also an heir through God. It's the idea of adopted, adopted as children that I really want to zero in on right here. Allow me to remind you, um, maybe if you're watching this, you have kids or grandkids or maybe even they're watching with you that watching this with you. I hope that's the case. But here's the thing about parenting. All right, I was there for the birth of all three of my kids. And after giving birth, 100% of the time, there is no money back guarantee when you give birth to kids. There is no getting to test drive and then you get to upgrade to a better model if you're not happy with how your kids are. You know, you give birth to a child, you're going home with that child. Adoption works differently. You have a choice. Adoption involves a choice. Max Lucado, he writes in one of his illustrations, <coughs> he writes about these, these old school orphan trains of people who, kids without parents, and they're put on these trains and they're, they're kind of taken along the railway and they have a stop at a major city or something like that. And all the kids get out and it's like they're lined up and, and parents who are hoping to adopt are there and it's like you're picking your child like you're picking produce. Like they'd look you over and look at your health record and, and stories of them, you know, even checking your teeth and stuff like that. This is, you know, I think back in World War II times. But here's the thing. When they made a choice, it was no accident. There's no accidental swipe rights in this world of adoption. For whatever reason they had, the parents chose that child. They could have walked away, they could have gone on to the next orphan, but they said, this one, I want this one. For whatever reason he has, God chose us. God chooses us. There's that idea that we might receive adoption as children. That God would say, I want that one. Think about it in this way. How does this start to play into our lives here and now? in the 21st century, when Monday morning comes. Think about this, and ask yourself this honestly. How much of life gets defined by our identity? Gets defined by our past mistakes? Gets defined by our dumb moves? You know, we made a, a bad move 20 years ago and people are still bringing it up, still reminding us of it. We're like labeled by that move, by our foolish decisions. How often are we motivated by, you know what, I'm never doing that again. Did that once, never again. Or I'll show them. I, I know a little bit about what that's like, um, where somebody will, um, I want to prove somebody wrong about something. Or I want to prove myself to somebody about something they said. And it, they maybe have said it decades ago. And it's still like, you know what, that still drives me, that still motivates me, that's still in the back of my head, helping to direct the decisions that I make because I'm always thinking of that voice going in the back of my head. I'll show them. How often, let's take it maybe even a step further, how often do we face loneliness and we ask, am I even lovable? Even before this whole pandemic started, that, that just accelerated the idea of what loneliness can make us feel like. Or we face critique from maybe coworkers or our boss is, is riding us about something or our family is 
honest about something. Why can't you do this? Why do you stink at this? Why aren't you any, <coughs> why aren't you any good at this? And we ask, am I good enough? We start to have this dialogue that goes on in our heads. With the king of the universe, none of who you were matters. What matters is who you are. Who are you? God's chosen child through Jesus. When we trust Jesus with our hearts, Jesus returns the favor. And as a result of that, we are adopted as children that God chose us. That is grace. You know, we often look at another salt and pepper kind of comparison. We often look at grace and mercy side by side. Well, Max Lucado plays this out. Again, I was drawing a lot from his book. It's a gold mine of a book. He plays out where he's comparing the two. And he says, he's like, mercy pardons. Grace woos us. Grace weds us. Grace um, serenades us. Mercy, if you've ever heard the story of the prodigal son, the guy, <coughs> the guy who could have been marked by all his mistakes and all his dumb moves and stuff like that. Mercy gave the prodigal a second chance. Grace threw him the party of the year. Mercy forgave the thief on the cross. Grace escorted him into paradise. Here's the thing. Grace changes people. And the grace given, give grace. The grace given, people who have received grace, give grace. So here's my question. Ponder this and, and let yourself ruminate over this idea. Is grace happening to you? Maybe even more so. Especially come Monday morning. Is grace happening through you? Let's pray together. God, thank you for the gift you give in amazing grace. For the gift you give in a new heart transformed, energized, given this engine of grace so that we can do good things, so that we can make a difference, so that we can share hope and share light that you give to us. Help us hang on to that. Help us to find our identity, not in our past, but in who we are as your child through your son. And let us live that out. Let us be one who gives grace as we have gotten grace. All this we pray in your name. Amen.